Hey there, I'm the Kentucky Guy, and thank you so much for listening to the Red Pill Current News Podcast. Here at the Red Pill Current News Podcast, we strive on bringing you news that you won't find in the fake media every day. We also strive to bring you the truth, not only on politics, but the world news all around, including pop culture and so forth. As for myself, I worked in the private sector for around 25 years in the call center management and health insurance industry. Uh, Due to unforeseen circumstances and health issues, I was forced into early retirement last year. Now, a couple years ago, I noticed that something just wasn't sitting right with the way our country was being ran or being politicized as. So I started doing research, a lot of research. And that's why I'm able to now host this podcast. I've been on other shows as well, discussing my views. I'm also on social media. I'm on The Clapper, Rizzle, TikTok, Truth Social, Facebook, and many more. You can find me at the KY Guy, Kentucky Guy, KY Guy, or KY Guy 80. Different ones. Somebody had my name on other platforms, of course. <laughs> All right. So, yes, and I uh, do want to let you know that we do drop a new episode here every every Wednesday and Saturday. So be sure to uh, hit that follow or subscribe button. No matter where you're listening to, we are on all podcast platforms. All right. So I hope you enjoyed today's show. And uh, again, God bless and God bless America. and welcome to the Red Pill Current News Podcast Special Report number 18, part 2, Devolution. Hi, guys. How y'all doing today? I am your host, the Kentucky Guy. Hope everybody is having a great day today. Uh, We do want to, uh, I do want to let you know that this is a special report. This is not the normal program uh, for our Wednesday show. Uh, We do have a special guest on our show. That will be posted later today. Uh, he is a uh, best-selling author. Uh, he's also a former U.S. military special agent. Uh, so um, uh, his name is David Edwards, and uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy that uh, interview. Before, uh, the reason uh, I've had a couple emails, <laughs> and, and, I, and I appreciate emails, um, but yes, I'm human. I get behind, and I know the special report number 18 should have already came out, uh, the part two. Uh, but I just, uh, uh, it's been uh, it's been kind of busy. Uh, but everything I'm doing, I'm doing for the upload of this show and the other shows that we have. So, uh, anywho, uh, let's uh, let's get into some house cleaning stuff here, and we'll get into the show. If you've not listened to us before. Uh, I ask you to go ahead and hit that subscribe or follow button. We are on all platforms now uh, that I know of. Uh, iHeartRadio, Pandora, 
uh, iTunes, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, which is the same as iTunes now. They went into one. Uh, Google, Spotify, Spotify, Pocket Cast, and the list goes on and on. Also, uh, we do drop new episodes here every Wednesday and Saturday. Uh, sometimes we do drop them throughout the week as well when we're doing special reports like this. Um, if you ever want to be a guest on the show or have any questions for us, feel free to always email me at O-L, Kentucky spelled out, O-L, Kentucky 99 at yahoo.com. O-Kentucky 99 at yahoo.com. And once again, I do appreciate your emails, uh, and uh, I respond. Just uh, ask any other listener. I do respond uh, every time. Also, for you wrestling fans, I co-host Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast with my other host, Donnie Cage. Uh, we drop new episodes there every Monday and Friday. This week, I think we have a special guest. He's a professional boxing coach. Uh, so it'd be very interesting to get his insights on, uh, what he thinks about professional wrestling and, uh, you know, how's the boxing world with these new YouTubers? I've got a bunch of questions for him, uh, that I'm kind of curious about that you may be curious about as well. So be sure to check that out on this Friday's show. Okay, let's get into a little bit of, uh, current news before we get into Devolution Part 2. So let's talk about our current geopolitical, political, economic collapse news here in the great country of the United States of America. Okay, here we go. Senators demand transparency from Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg on the Hunter Biden story. And no matter how much the Democrats in the mainstream media want this story to go away, it's not going away, folks. And I love this first guy I'm going to talk about. Senator Chuck Grassley, uh, he's a Republican out of Iowa, and another great one, uh, Ron Johnson, he's a Republican out of uh, Wisconsin, I believe. They're demanding uh, that media CEO Mark Zuckerberg turn over all communications between Facebook and the FBI Department of Justice, and other government employees relating to Hunter Biden. Grassley is the ranking member of the Judiciary Committee, and Johnson is a ranking member of the uh, Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations. They're looking for communications dealing with Biden's laptop, his business dealings, and Russia disinformation for a full year ending in July 1st, 2021. Their demands came in a letter to Zuckerberg dated Monday, according to the New York Post. Zuckerberg admitted Thursday that his media platform suppressed the Hunter Biden laptop story in the final weeks before the 2020 election after a visit from the FBI, retroactively saying, now it sucks. That's a quote. The story, uh, wound up being uh, verifiable. The background here is that the FBI bas basically came to us. This is Zuckerberg talking. Uh, some of the folks on our, and some of the folks on our team, 
and said, hey, just so you know, you should be on high alert. We thought there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump that's similar to that. Just be vigilant. Zuckerberg told the Joe Rogan experience in a podcast interview last Thursday. Zuckerberg maintained Twitter fully blocked the Hunter Biden uh, laptop story, while Facebook merely suppressed it from being spread widely. Uh, there is more to this FBI involvement uh, in the Hunter Biden Biden case in the 2020 election uh, we're going to get to in just here in a minute but Zuckerberg's guilty John Dorsey's guilty uh, you guys have heard it right here on the special report that they belong to some of the people that were or some of the committees and our government knew it along with Dominion uh, even though that it could be a conflict of interest they belong to some of the committees that Look out for our <laughs> uh, look out for our election integrity. I, it, it's hard to say, folks. Just to be honest with you, knowing that these uh, these companies uh, are a part of a committee that, and we know that they're not bipartisan. We we. It's just, it should be illegal. It, it, it's a conflict of interest. It shouldn't, especially Dominion. Uh, but when you have these guys, and let's face it, they have the biggest audience ever. The owners of Facebook, uh, the previous CEO of Twitter. I mean, they do. Uh, no matter how, if you like them or hate them, they do. They have that audience. So that's a lot of power. And... It's a conflict of interest to be on a committee when you're not bipartisan. It shouldn't be. There's no reason for these guys to be on them at all. Real quick, I did want to mention that uh, our condolences go out to Russia. Uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, who helped, who actually worked with Ronald Reagan and helped ended the Cold uh, War, actually died yesterday uh, at age 91. Uh, he will go down in history. Um, it's probably the greatest president, maybe one of the greatest presidents that, uh, uh, that was ever in the Soviet Union. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong. He wasn't always a good guy. Uh, he was kind of vicious <laughs> when he first became president, but that was, that was communism, man. I mean, that's how the old regime was. I mean, that's, that's just, you know, the KGB. All that stuff is real. I mean, that stuff really, really happened. So, as I mentioned, uh, there is more. So, as I mentioned, there is more to the story of the FBI. Uh, and uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, the headline from yesterday was Trump demands 2020 rightful winner to be named as FBI agents leaves. 
So President Donald Trump overnight continued to demand either a new presidential election or to declare the rightful winner from the 2020 race between himself and Joe Biden after new reports that a senior FBI agent under scrutiny for allegations of political bias had left the agency. Uh, quote, the presidential election was badly and irrepar- uh, irreparably uh, tainted by, by the FBI's fake description of the laptop from H-E-L-L to Facebook and lamestream media. And for many other reasons as well, Trump posted on his true social page, De- quote, declare the rightful winner or hold a new election. Now, our country, which is failing badly, knows the score and will never accept criminal election interference. The post continued, quote, the FBI just fired its special agent in charge of this outrageous and very illegal assault on the Constitution of the United States of America. Amen. Uh, Trump calls new book fantastic. Says, get it? See more. What? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I, I, I don't know what book he's talking about. Anyways, okay. So, former President Trump speaks at an American First Policy uh, Institute Agenda Summit at the Marriott in Washington. And back then, he spoke about the FBI uh, interference and cover-up of the Hunter ba- uh, Biden lo- laptop. So this is what? This is sep- uh, almost September. So, yeah, but he's been speaking about this a lot longer than this. A lot longer. Uh, and, you know, who can blame him? I mean, you guys have heard, uh, for those of you... Now, if this is the uh, first time that you've listened to a special report on devolution, my advice is, so you're not completely lost, is to uh, go back and at least listen to part one. This is part 18, part two. It's not a short series uh, by no means because we're not even close to being done. But, uh, I do, you know, I don't think you'll, you'll be lost uh, just jumping in headfirst right now. The Washington Times did report on Monday, quoting two former FBI officials said to be familiar with the situation that assisted a special agent in charge, Timothy Tabalt, had been seen Friday being escorted from the building by two or three headquarters looking types. That's a quote. Uh, The sources said that Tabalt, the 25-year veteran who had been accused of political bias in handling of probes involving Biden's sons, Hunter, had been forced out, but the Times said it was not clear whether he had resigned or been fired. Tabalt had come to the attention of the congressional Republicans through uh, internal leaks about his conduct and his social media posts. According to the New York uh, Post, the agent had already been on leave for a month after Senator Chuck Grassley, there he is again, love that guy, Republican from Iowa, 
the top Republican on the Senate Judiciary Committee raised concerns about claims from the whistleblower that the FBI obstructed the Hunter Biden investigations. Uh, Trump overnight posted uh, post included the message he posted Monday when he demanded to either be declared the rightful winner or that another election be held. Quote, so now it comes out conclusively that the FBI buried the Hunter Biden laptop story before the election, knowing that if they didn't, Trump would have easily won 2020 presidential election, is what Trump said on Monday in his initial post. Uh, Trump then followed up uh, later Tuesday morning with a post that included a report that the uh, about uh, Taliban pleading guilty to destroying evidence in an Arkansas case. Uh, quote, this is the man responsible for investigating voter fraud in the 2020 presidential election. Trump's later post said he covered it up. He covered it all up. Too bad Bill Barr and Mike Pence didn't know this. The FBI did. Never too late. Question mark, question mark. And no, it's not too late. Uh, once again, as I've mentioned several times, we are in... Uh, unprecedented times, unprecedented uh, uh, waters here. I mean, uh, and I know, and I know what some of you are saying. Oh, well, you know, uh, you, uh, it's too late. It's too late to insert. No, it's not. It's not too late. Um, it just, uh, You know, the FBI, um, and once again, I'm going to say this because I said this on the last episode, and I want to make this absolutely positively clear. They're not all bad. They're not. Um, and I just, uh, you know, I, I want to throw that out there. There is a lot of bad. Do not get me wrong. Uh, I just... Uh, Man, it, the more we find out about it, and why do you think this is all coming out? Uh, <laughs> I mean, let's just, uh, you know, this is this is all by design. Uh, and then the last thing, and I'm not going to speak long on this, but uh, uh, Biden's approval ratings fall once again um, through the uh, Reuters. Uh, IPS OS poll conducted online. Uh, this guy has been under 50%, under 50%, he's been under 40% for over a year now. So, he's really, uh, <laughs> he's really uh, showing his true colors, let's say. The Americans are waking up. I think they're waking up fast, and uh, I love it. I'm glad they're waking up. I, I, I mean, it's took a lot longer than I predicted or thought, um, but, um, you know, at least it's happening. So, and once again, it's up to us to save this country. Devolution, part 18, series, series 18. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's try that one more time. Devolution, episode 18, part 2.
So before I get into this, in case we do have some new listeners uh, that are just going to hang on, that's fine. Uh, let's do a quick recap of part one, uh, some of the timelines and so forth. So on December 7th, 2020, Trump issued the uh, executive order using his presidential powers based in the context of war and national defense. The uh the executive order explains that this is that this is the policy of the United States to perform the NEFs as defined by the PPD-40 in a community environment regardless of threat or condition. The federal continuing directives gave us those NEFs. The former uh, or I'm sorry, the executive order explains the switch from reactive posture to a proactive posture. When it comes to continually planning, making it uh, seem likely those involved would have known what was coming. The EO established an executive committee to implement and execute the plan. Uh, the uh, executive order has detailed the roles of the executive committee and established that the executive committee should establish a subordinate bodies and working groups to support their work in implementing the continuing plan. The uh, executive order detailed the back channel to the president, which in turn is Mark Meadows. The uh, Also, the uh, executive order showed us who the new NCC is, Robert O'Brien. Also, the executive order outlined, and this is all from the last episode, the delegation of legal authority to use secure communications during a continuing event if the president had proclaimed the, a state of war. Uh, the executive order consolidated responsibilities for secure communications away from every agency and into the uh, executive committee. Everything I've seen from the executive orders tell me that this is the devolution plan itself. That's why I'm spending two episodes on it, because it is, that's what it is. It is the plan right there. If you listen to part one of this, when I went over the executive order, and you've heard the plan. Why you still don't believe, I don't know. Once again, I'm not, I don't do this so you'll believe what I, how I believe or, or think the way I believe. Uh, you make up your own mind. I'm just presenting you facts that I've found in my research and which causes me to believe that we still have hope in this country, which causes me to believe that President Trump is still the rightfully inactive United States president. I know that's hard to swallow for many. It is what it is. Wake up. Don't get caught out there when this comes out. There is a real coming. And don't think that it's waiting till 2024. Please. At least try to think optimistically about what I'm saying with an open mind because I do not want you to be completely lost like so many will be when this comes out. Let's talk about the strategy. The Federal Missions Resilience Strategy uh, introduction 
is uh, what I want to talk about right now. So let's take a look at the Federal Mission Resilience Strategy that was released in conjunction with the executive order we've been talking about. As I stated, the executive order establishes the framework for implementing and executing a continuing plan. Uh, the finer details of the plan are found in the strategy. So first I want to look at the introduction letter, uh, which came from Donald Trump himself, in support of my administration's national security, this is a quote, by the way, from Donald Trump, uh, strategy, I am issuing the Federal Missions Resilience Strategy, hereafter the strategy, to address the long-term challenges of political, economic, and military competition from near-peer adversaries, as well as disruptions from natural disasters and pandemics. Our adversaries will not attempt to fight us on our terms. They've studied our way of war, invested in capabilities to target our strengths, and are adept at committing below the threshold of armed conflict. The strategy accelerates our collective efforts to fully implement national uh, continuing policy, continuity policy, and make risk-informed decisions to maintain a comprehensive and effective capability that ensures the continuous performance of essential functions and services. Listen to this part. To preserve our Constitution form of government under any and all conditions. As the executive branch, we must uh, recommend and sustain leadership, attention on meetings, on meeting that needs of the American, on meeting the needs of the American people in the face of disruptors and preserving our form of government. Despite our best efforts, the government cannot prevent all dangers. We recognize and must prepare for the possibility of unforeseen events, including natural disasters, pandemics, cyber threats, and kinetic or electronic electronic pulse attacks. We must be prepared as a nation, as a federal government, and as individual citizens to preserve, protect, and defend our way of life. Uh, the following on Federal Missions Resilience Implementation Plan will ensure that our nation's efforts and resources will be brought to bear in, in a coordinate manner through intricate uh, continuity of operations and continuity of government programs. Uh, hero woven into routine day-to-day government operations Working together, we will prioritize the security, the security, uh, prosperity, and interest of the American people to from to confront the challenge of tomorrow. Signed, President Donald J. Trump. Woohoo! So that entire introduction is President Trump's way of telling us what he's about to do. What he's about to do. Think about it. This was in December 2020 when he wrote this. He was supposedly an outgoing president 
So why would he even bother with any kind of continuity plan and strategy at this point of his presidency unless there was something meaningful he was going to have to use it for? That alone proves that devolution is real. If it doesn't make sense for him, just think about it for just a second, okay? It doesn't make sense for him to issue the executive order and issue the strategy this late in the game unless they're going to use it. Trump is telling us that they are implementing the proper, quote, national continuity policy to fight back against those who seek to destroy our country. Trump's telling us he's implementing devolution. It's right there. Right there it is. Some of you, I know, you're hard-headed like I used to be, and you, you can't get through your head that this is possible, but it is. There's one quote from that introduction speech that I'd like you to keep in the back of your mind. Quote, the government and private sector must work together to reduce vulnerabilities and design infrastructure that addresses preparedness and resilience from the start. You're going to see why I'm mentioning that. So, one thing that's very interesting, it's an interesting revelation, right? And it comes in the first paragraph into an executive summary, which quotes, the strategy was developed in response to directions from the National Security Council Principles Committee. Time for a mini-dive into what Trump did with the National Security Council and who is on the, let's call him the NSC, uh, Principles Committee. On April 4th, 2017, President Trump issued National Security Presidential uh, Memorandum, number four. Uh, This memorandum laid out how Trump would implement his national security policy and decision-making during his presidency. Here's a good summary from the memo. The National Security Act of 1947, as amended, established the National Security Council to advise the president with respect to the integration of domestic, foreign, and military policies relating to the national security. There is also a Homeland Security Council established through Executive Order 13228 of October 8, 2001, and subsequently uh, codified in the Homeland Security Act of 2002. That has the purpose of advising the presidential on matters pertaining to Homeland Security. Each council is also responsible for the effective uh, coordination of the security-related activities and functions of the executive departments and agencies. So, let's let's clarify real quick. Um, let's clear, I, I want to bring a couple things to attention real quick. So, here again... Trump mentions National Security Act of 1947. 
as I previously mentioned, uh, the National Security Act of 1947 is found in Chapter 24 of the United States Code, Title 50 uh, of uh, the War and National Defense. The entire purpose of the NSC is to advise the president on matters relating to domestic, foreign, and military policies relating to national security. Keep that in mind. What we've already discussed regarding the NSC and how Trump and Robert O'Brien appeared to be cleaning out the deep state from the NSC in February 20, uh, 2020. The strategy was developed in response to direction from the NSC Principles Committee. So let's find out who that is. The Principles Committee shall continue to serve as the cabinet-level uh, senior uh, interagency uh, inter uh, forum for considering policy issues that affect the national security interest of the United States. Uh, they shall uh, be convened and chaired by the National Security Advisor. Uh, the PC shall have as its regular attendees the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Treasury, the Secretary of Defense, the Attorney General, the Secretary of Energy, the Secretary of Homeland Security, the Chief of Staff to the President, the Director of National Intelligence, the Chairman of the Joint Chief of Staffs. These are people we've already talked about. Uh, Director of National Intelligence, the Chairman of, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the National Security Advisor, the Homeland Security Advisor, and the Representative of the United States to the United Nations. So, so let's clarify that, right? Because that's, that's a lot. So what's happening here, the strategy and the executive order simultaneously issued created the entire framework needed for devolution and were developed in response to direction from the NSC's Principles Committee. That committee is the cabinet-level senior interagency uh, forum for considering policies, issues that affect national security and the national security interests in the United States. I can't emphasize that enough. So not only did Trump draw his authority from the National Security Act of 1947, the War and National Defense, to issue the executive order and strategy, but he did so based on the direction from the highest level policy-making group regarding national security and national security interests for the United States. And I know, I know what you're thinking, Kentucky guy, you keep repeating this, but only because it needs to be repeated until it gets pounded in your head. Everything we're seeing points to a military operation in the form of a continuing of government, a, a continuity of the government plan, and, and the plan is specifically written to ensure the resilience of the executive branch in a national security crisis, specifically a wartime situation. 
So let's look just a little bit closer at who was a part of the NSC Principals Committee at the time the uh, executive order was issued. The list comes from National Security Presidential Memoranda. Number four, there are some individuals who may at times attend new meetings, but I am only going to list those delegated as regular attendees of the executive order, I'm sorry, of the executive committee that we recently discussed. National Security Advisor, Robert O'Brien. He's the chair of the committee, once again. Secretary of State, a true patriot, Mike Pompeo. Secretary of Treasury, Steve Mulchin. Secretary of Defense, our hero, Christopher Miller. Attorney General, I have no idea, Bill Barr. I have no idea. Uh, my, uh, my opinion about Bill Barr is still on the shelf. I, I just don't understand. I don't know. I know there's optics in war, but he even wrote a book. I don't know. Secretary of Energy, Dan Berlepe. Uh Secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf. Chief, to, Chief of Staff to the President, Mark Meadows. Director of National Intelligence, John Ratcliffe. There he is again. Remember him? We talked about him going to the Army and Navy game with the President. And what they must have talked about on that day. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley. That's another one. He's on my shelf. I don't, I don't know. Some of the stuff he's, I don't know. Director of the Central Intelligence Agency, Gina Haspel. Homeland Security Advisor, Julia uh, Noes. Representative of the U.S. to the United Nations, Kelly Kraft. So if we assume that the executive order and strategy are the framework of devolution, then the committee and the members listed above, at minimum, were the ones who provided the direction leading to the execution of devolution. What that? What does that mean to me? Uh, I can't write off anybody on the list as being a black hat. The executive order strategy clearly lays out the implementation and execution of a continuity government plan, and this group uh, set the entire thing in motion. So we cannot definitively conclude any are black hats. It's also, that's what I'm telling you, I'm still on the shelf about Barr and Miley. It's also interesting to me that four members from the uh, NSC, Principals Committee, that are also uh, former executive committees, all have roles having to do with either war, national security, or intelligence. Uh, also, from the strategy, the strategy model of um, assets, assets uh, distribute and sustain reduces the resilience on receive, relocation of personal to alternate locations and emphasizes a... Uh, routine, proactive, full-time posture of distribution and, as necessary, devolution to minimum disruptions to essentially function and services. This includes to mitigate against all threats, including adversaries, actions, and regional uh, disruptions. So that, sec that section right there I just read 
it has some great information. Not quote, not only does it specifically mention the word devolution, but it tells us that each of the federal executive branch principles are to increase their capability and capacity to continuously perform essential functions and that uh, they they may have may not have any notice in doing so. Huh. Okay. So their focus basically is to use a holistic risk management approach and the continuity principles relating uh, to what we spoke about, the NEFs. This means in using their uh, continuity plan, they will not be able to focus on any individual NEF, but rather they would look at what I call the bigger picture and manage the risk across the board framework. This is critically important. Uh, this is a critically important part, I guess I should say. Uh, remember what devolution, uh, devolution truly means. They let the Biden administration assume office. By doing so, they did risk losing total control of every possible nod. And that requires them to be flexible yet prepared as to not let any of their prioritized NEFs fall fail, fail, I'm going to say fall into the wrong hands, but fail, let's say it that way. This also echoes the same focus on the reactive versus proactive posture uh, that we first heard in the executive order. But this time, prioritizing a proactive posture of distribution over a reactive relocation of personal. We see that mentioned again in the very next section, uh, was uh, to shift continuity implications from reactive location, a proactive uh, substance distributed model. So the executive order mentioned subordinate bodies and working groups that would support the former executive committee in the implementation and execution of a continuity plan. That picture uh, that I'm starting to see forming is the framework for devolution that we need to, uh, that we find throughout the, the uh, executive order and the strategy was to have working groups ready and with the cap capability and capacity of performing essential functions once the plan was initiated. And that's about all the time we do have for this episode. But if you don't quite see the picture forming yet, you're going to on the very next special report. I promise. If you're just not seeing it, you're going to. You have my word. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay it out there so it's like a brick hitting you on top of the head. <laughs> all right, guys. So that's all the time we do have for special report Devolution Part 2. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Be sure to tune in later for our very special, uh, our very special guest who will be with us, uh, and he will—he is a best-selling author, David Edwards. So, as always, God bless and God bless America. Thank you all. <laughs>